When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly. I hope everyone has had a fabulous week and that you enjoyed this week's Missing Monday that featured an amazing podcast friend of mine named Leah from Least of These. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, make sure you do so because she shared with us the case of missing Shelly Jones Mook. I have to tell you guys that this community of true crime podcasters is absolutely incredible. The amount of fellow podcasters that I have met through this journey has been so much fun. Everyone within this community is so welcoming, so kind, eager to help, and we just have an incredible time bonding together. Prior to starting my own podcast, I had this idea in my mind that the podcast community, especially the true crime one, was a cutthroat competition, which is so not true. So my reasoning for saying this is to encourage anyone who has considered starting their own podcast, especially a true crime one, or a YouTube channel, or heck, even a TikTok do it. Jump in with both feet. You'll be surprised by the support of fellow podcasters. And once more, if you didn't listen to that episode, the reasoning for Leah helping me out this week was because the fact that I have been super sick going on two weeks now. Thankfully, my voice is significantly better than it was on Monday, but you guys might be able to still hear a little bit of the sickness in my voice today, and y'all are just going to have to deal because your girl is here and we are ready to share this week's case. So I'm going to be done blabbing about all that. Um, Let's get into today's case. This case was one that was suggested in our case suggestion form by Michelle. So thank you, Michelle, for your submission. If you want to drop a case suggestion, check the description of this episode for the link to that form. This case is one that took place in 2013, but has had some newer case updates as of just last year. Today's case is on the murder of Alexis Murphy. Alexis Tiara Murphy was born to her parents, Troy Brown and Laura Murphy, on June 5, 1996 in Charlottesville, Virginia. Charlottesville is not a small town by any means, but it's certainly not a huge city either. In 2020, there was roughly 48,000 residents residing there. Charlottesville is home to the University of Virginia, and it's also where Thomas Jefferson's famed estate, Monticello, is located. So not only is it a college town, but it's pretty rich with history as well. 
Alexis was described as being joyful, vibrant, athletic, and stunningly beautiful. She was close with her three brothers, Avery, Cameron, and Noah, and she always cherished them, even though they often got on her nerves, which I think we can all relate to having those siblings that we can't live with them, but we also couldn't live without them. And that was certainly the boys for Alexis. Alexis was attending high school at Nelson County High School, and she was the girl who had the most infectious personality. People gravitated towards her and always wanted to just be in her presence. She also had that friendly and caring personality that she was said to have talked to the kids that often were picked on or alienated from other kids. She was friends to those people who didn't have friends, and she was always that trusted friend and person that anyone could turn to when they needed advice or someone just to listen to them. As I said, Alexis was an athlete and she had worked hard to become the captain of the volleyball team for her senior year in high school. Volleyball was a major passion of hers and it was something that she had intended on continuing to pursue after high school when she went on to college. Though she was born in Charlottesville, Alexis grew up mainly in Lovingston, which is where her high school was. But where she lived at the time of her disappearance and murder was in a town called Shipman, which is like neighboring small towns to Lovingston and Shipman. In August of 2013, Alexis was 17 years old and in the final weeks of her summer vacation before the start of her senior year. It was set in her calendar that she was due to have senior portraits taken before the start of the school year, and this was something that Alexis was really looking forward to, and I think it's something that a lot of girls kind of dream about. I know for me, I was so excited for my senior pictures. It was like that milestone that I had waited for what felt like forever, and I had plans on the outfits I wanted to wear, and I had to, of course, make sure that my hair was freshly highlighted, and Alexis was no different. She was wanting to look the best that she could for these pictures, and one of the things that Alexis wanted to do to make sure that her senior pictures were extra special was to get new hair extensions. Saturday, August 3rd, 2013 started out as a regular day for Alexis. Alexis's mom, Laura, had woken up sometime in the afternoon to begin getting ready for work. She worked the overnight shift at the local post office, and so around 3 p.m. that day, both she and Alexis were preparing to get ready to leave the house. Alexis was going to be headed to get her new hair extensions and Laura off to her shift at the post office. Prior to leaving the house, Alexis was her normal bubbly self. Her mother stated that she was laughing and she was happy and that she had given Alexis money for her to buy her hair extensions. Now, I just want to note here that Alexis was going to go buy her hair extensions on this day. She wasn't actually going to be getting them put in her hair until just a few days later. So Alexis said goodbye to her mother, and she walked out the front door and got into her dad's white 2003 Nissan Maxima. At 6.04 p.m., Alexis got on her Twitter account and tweeted, quote, Berg bound, because she was headed to Lynchburg to purchase her hair extensions, which was just about a 20-minute drive from her home in Shipman. 
It wasn't exactly clear what all Alexis's plans were while in Lynchburg or if she was just planning on making that quick trip for her extensions, but Alexis knew what her curfew was and she always made sure that she came home on time. As I stated, Alexis posted that tweet at 6.04 saying Bergbound, and she was a very, very active Twitter user, and the tweets were constantly coming out from her, and oftentimes they were randomly like little blurbs about what she was thinking or feeling. Occasionally, it was a quote or a song lyric, and sometimes it was just her saying what she was doing, like that Bergbound tweet. It was not unusual for Alexis to tweet like 30 plus times in a day, and she had a large following of thousands of people on Twitter. At 6.23 p.m., she tweeted, quote, if you don't like what you see, don't look, end quote. It's unclear whether this tweet was tweeted because it was just a random thought Alexis had or if something had happened to make her say that, but her final tweet was posted at 6.40 p.m., so just 17 minutes after that, if you don't like what you see, tweet, and it said, quote, I actually look cute right now, end quote. Because Alexis was so active on Twitter and was constantly posting new tweets, the fact that another tweet didn't come from her again that day or at all after that was the first huge sign that something had happened to her. Later that night in the early morning hours, while Alexis's mother, Laura, was still at her overnight job at the post office, Alexis's grandmother, who also lived at the home, had woken up to find that Alexis hadn't made it home and that she had missed her midnight curfew. The grandmother called Laura to let her know that Alexis never made it home, and Laura called Alexis's father, Troy. He instantly told Laura that they needed to call the police immediately. He had this feeling in his gut that something wasn't right. Not only did she not come home by curfew, but she hadn't brought his car back either. Which, missing curfew and not returning his car was something that she would never do. The police thankfully responded quickly, and they were out searching immediately that night. According to Laura, they had the state police searching not only the ground, but they had a helicopter searching as well that same very night. Her family also worked quickly to get the information out to all of Alexis's friends, social media followers, and the community. Laura said to True Crime Daily that social media played a huge role in searching for Alexis. When all her friends and followers heard of her disappearance, they showed up for her family to help search. But as the days passed and no sign of Alexis, everyone's fear continued to grow. It wasn't until three days later on August 6th when the car that Alexis had been driving was found abandoned in a movie theater parking lot in Charlottesville, Virginia. But no sign of Alexis. And this location of her car really threw her family off. We know that Alexis was headed to Lynchburg to purchase her hair extensions, and the location of her car was over an hour's drive from Lynchburg to Charlottesville. But in order for Alexis to have gone to that movie theater, she would have had to have completely backtracked from Lynchburg, past where she lived in Shipman, and up onto Charlottesville. 
It completely did not make any kind of sense to her family as to why Alexis would have even gone to Charlottesville for a movie to begin with. Not to mention if she had plans to have seen a movie with friends, it would have been completely easier for her to skip Lynchburg altogether and just go to Charlottesville to make her hair extension purchase. Investigators began canvassing the area around where the car was parked and spotted some surveillance cameras that looked to have a clear view of where Alexis's car was found. So that gave some hope for authorities and her family that they would be able to get some sort of timeline of events and if Alexis had been with anybody. Unfortunately, the quality of the video and the angle and positioning of the camera didn't give them much detail at all, and they couldn't even make out who got out of the car. They were able to get a timestamp on when the car actually pulled into the movie theater parking lot. The night after Alexis was seen on August 4th, around 10.30 p.m., the car pulls into the movie theater parking lot. Again, despite all the efforts to enhance the video and do whatever they could to clear the image, they just couldn't determine who was exiting the car and walking away. The video was grainy, black and white, and of course it was taken at night, so that was somewhat of a letdown for authorities and her family. Investigators were working to come up with any places that they knew Alexis and other local teens from the Shipman and Lovingston area hung out. And let me remind you that Shipman and Lovingston were neighboring small towns and her high school was in Lovingston. So they come up with the Liberty gas station in Lovingston, which apparently the teens would hang out there after school and on weekends. When they decided to pull the surveillance for the gas station, they spotted Alexis entering the gas station where she purchased gas just before she disappeared. And this was sometime shortly after 7 p.m. Her appearance is normal, her demeanor seems like her normal self, and nothing is out of the ordinary. Investigators go frame by frame of her time inside the gas station to see if they can spot anyone following her or anything weird. As Alexis is exiting the gas station, a man holds the door open for her and she walks out of the door. She doesn't say anything to him. She doesn't even look at him and she doesn't stop walking. She just keeps on going, which seems once more like a normal everyday exchange. But they still make a note of the man. From what they can see, he has a large neck tattoo and his car is easily identifiable as a camouflage Chevrolet Suburban. A cashier from the gas station said that she had witnessed Alexis and this man having a conversation in the parking lot, and then she witnessed Alexis' white Nissan leaving the parking lot following behind the man's Suburban. She easily remembered Alexis because she was familiar with her face because she visited the gas station so frequently, and that conversation that she claimed that the two of them had had happened outside of any camera views. And of course, the fact that Alexis's car followed behind his Suburban could just be a coincidence as well. She could have just left at the same time and had been heading in the same direction as that camouflaged Suburban, but it did pique authorities' interest and they wanted to figure out who exactly this man was and if there was any kind of connection. Which, given that he had this distinct tattoo and car, they didn't figure it would take long to track this man down. 
Now, something to note here is that Alexis's last tweet was at that 6.40 p.m. timestamp. She's seen at the gas station sometime a little after 7 p.m. and then minutes after leaving this gas station, her phone is either turned off or dies a mile north of this gas station. This last ping on her cell phone led the FBI and the Virginia State Police to an abandoned property that had an old house right beside Route 29 right along the main highway. Due to the time of year that it was, the vegetation on this property was thick and hard to navigate. But the further authorities walked into this property, they spotted a familiar vehicle parked among some overgrown brush. And it was that camouflage Chevy Suburban. Within moments of seeing the Suburban, authorities were greeted by a familiar looking man. It appeared to be the same man from the surveillance footage, and now that they were closer to him, they were able to see that that large neck tattoo that he rocked was actually a blown-up image of Daffy Duck. He identified himself as being 48-year-old Randy Taylor. Nothing about him screamed that he was guilty of anything. He was calm, he chatted as if nothing was wrong, and he didn't give off any kind of indication that he knew why authorities were there to begin with. But as authorities approached the camper on the property, they started to become more uneasy of this guy. The first thing that they spotted was that he had a video camera on top of the camper that pointed out towards the driveway. And though Randy Taylor didn't give anything away of any kind of involvement and he was acting normal, Anthony Martin stated to True Crime Daily that he's the kind of person that makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Randy invited the detectives inside his camper, and while in there chatting with him, something sparkly catches one of the detectives' eyes. A very small diamond stud that appeared to be either a facial piercing or a small earring was lying on the carpet. They also spotted a broken fingernail embedded in the carpet, as well as a long black strand of hair lying on the pillow of Randy's bed. And this hair was consistent to belonging to an African-American female. So it appears that things keep looking really bad for Randy Taylor. Not only was he the man from the video footage that was seen with Alexis or near Alexis, Her phone had also pinged in this location, and then upon entering the camper, they find an earring that could have belonged to Alexis, as well as that fingernail, and the icing on the cake was the strand of hair. However, police still needed more and couldn't arrest him without concrete proof that these things belonged to Alexis. When they left, they did take the items with them to do DNA testing. The items were immediately sent off to the Virginia State Police Crime Lab, and testing confirmed that all three of these items belonged to 17-year-old Alexis Murphy. As if Randy Taylor wasn't already at the top of their suspect list, he for sure was now, and he denied ever seeing Alexis on that day. Once confronted with the DNA evidence, he changed his tune and said that he had seen her on that day and that Alexis and a, quote, black guy with dreadlocks had came to his camper to get drugs. 
Randy stated that the two of them drank a few beers before leaving his camper and that when Alexis and the other man with dreadlocks left, she was in good spirits laughing and smiling. Randy also gave the name of this man she was supposedly with, and his name was Damien Bradley. When investigators go speak with Damien, he did state that he knew Alexis, but he completely denied ever meeting Randy Taylor, and he stated that he was not the last person to be with Alexis before she disappeared, and he for sure did not ever go to Randy's camper on that day. And his story checked out. They were able to confirm that Damien had been out of state with his father in Alabama during the weekend that Alexis disappeared. With these false statements to authority and the DNA evidence, police were able to arrest Randy Taylor on abduction charges. When they notified her family of the arrest, they told them the name Randy Taylor, and none of them recognized it, but when shown a picture of the man, Alexis's aunt Trina did recognize him. Apparently, Trina Murphy had purchased a car where Randy Taylor had worked, and Randy was the worker who handed over the keys to Trina. And though this seems like a crazy coincidence, let me just remind you that this area where they all lived and worked was very small, with a population of roughly like 500 people in each of the Shipman area and the Lovingston area. There was no connection between the fact that she had bought this car where Randy worked and Alexis's disappearance. It just happened to be one of those small town kind of situations. However, the more authorities dug into Randy Taylor and began asking questions of people in the community, the more they learned that this guy was a complete creep and most people didn't have anything nice to say about him. They learned from the attendants at the Liberty gas station where Randy and Alexis were seen together that he was a regular in there. And while visiting the gas station, he frequently made the attendants feel uncomfortable. They told authorities that Randy would back his Suburban into a corner parking lot and just sit there for over an hour watching people come and go from the store which is so utterly creepy. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy me a good people watching session, but I don't go out of my way to park places on the regular to watch. I do my watching when I'm already out and about. And I think most people can relate with that and agree that this behavior is beyond odd and super uncomfortable for those that noticed it. Of course, this news traveled fast that Randy was arrested for the abduction of Alexis, and more tips began coming in. An employee of a local porn shop called into authorities claiming that just 45 minutes before Randy was at the gas station, he was inside the porn store purchasing two adult videos. Because of this information, authorities felt like there was a sexual motivation behind whatever happened to Alexis. They knew they needed to get back inside of that camper to do a more thorough search of it, and they worked hard to obtain a search warrant. When they were granted a search warrant, both the FBI and local police rushed to the property to begin a top-to-bottom search. Inside the camper, under the couch, they found a balled-up t-shirt, and wrapped inside of the t-shirt was black hair extensions and a set of false eyelashes. And it appeared that this t-shirt was the same one that Alexis had been wearing when she was last seen in that surveillance footage from the gas station. 
There was also a noticeable stain on the back of the shirt that appeared to be blood. After DNA testing was done, it was confirmed that the stain on the back of the shirt was in fact blood, and the DNA from that and the hair extensions, as well as the eyelashes, once more all matched Alexis's DNA. Authorities also searched inside of that abandoned home that was also on the property, and inside there they found a weird scrapbook that contained pornographic images. But what was so odd and extremely concerning about this scrapbook was that on every single picture of these women in various different pornographic positions, all of the faces had been covered with a cutout picture of another female's face. And it was all of the same person's face that had been taped onto all of these various different pictures. Authorities learned the identity of the female in these pictures, and it happened to be the daughter of one of Randy's co-workers. One thing that authorities were really hoping to find within the camper or that abandoned house or even on the property itself was Alexis's cell phone since it last pinged at that location. They were unable to find it themselves by doing just a basic ground search, but they brought in a canine unit, which this was actually super cool to me because I had no idea that they had trained canines out there that were trained specifically to detect cell phones. Like, I guess it makes sense that they would have some sort of smell to them, but I had never heard about this, and I think it is absolutely so cool and could potentially be very helpful in so many cases. And it was actually helpful in this case as well. The canines were able to locate Alexis's iPhone around 15 feet away from the camper, and when they discovered it, the phone had been completely shattered. So between the first evidence they had found with the strand of hair, the fingernail and earring, plus all of this new evidence and Alexis's cell phone, they were building a solid case against Randy while he sat in jail on those first initial abduction charges. And eventually, even though they did not have Alexis's body, he was charged with her murder. Police believed that Randy was their guy, but they did have some sort of doubts because there had been a lot of other women and girls that had gone missing from this same area. So there was some suspicion that perhaps there was a serial killer out there to blame and that potentially Alexis's case could be connected to these other women. The first case happened in October of 2009 when Virginia Tech student Morgan Harrington went missing from Charlottesville, which again is the same town where Alexis's car had been found. Morgan's body was found three months later in a field south of town. The next case took place in September of 2010. 19-year-old Samantha Clark went missing from a town called Orange in Virginia, and this town was located just minutes from Charlottesville. Unfortunately, her body was never recovered. But what is crazy about Samantha's case is that Randy Taylor was actually a suspect in this case, but he was never formally charged with anything. After Samantha's disappearance, Alexis went missing, and then about a year after Alexis, in September of 2014, Hannah Graham, who was 18 at the time of her disappearance, vanished after a night out with friends in Charlottesville. Five weeks later, her remains were found in a nearby abandoned property. 
Now, authorities were able to connect both Morgan's case and Hannah's case to a man named Jesse Matthew Jr., and he later pled guilty to both of their slayings and he is now also incarcerated. But when Alexis went missing, this man was living amongst the community, and some people, including authorities, wondered if maybe, just maybe, they had the wrong guy behind bars. Now, what is interesting about Jesse Matthew Jr. was he actually fit the description of the African-American man that Randy had first initially said that Alexis was with when they visited his camper to get drugs. Jesse Matthew Jr. was an African-American man with dreadlocks. So even though they were pretty certain Randy was their guy, they wanted to make sure and rule out Jesse Matthew as well. They collected his DNA and compared it to some of the samples they took from the camper, and he was completely ruled out as having any involvement in Alexis's case. Which this whole thing with Jesse Matthew Jr. being looked into happened after the conviction of Randy Taylor. So backing up some in 2013, authorities spent five months searching anywhere they could to find Alexis and they were never able to recover her remains. And at the time that Randy Taylor was officially charged with Alexis's murder, only one other murder case had gone forward without a body in the state of Virginia. And that was the Stephen Epperly case that happened in the 1980s. The woman that he killed has remained missing for over 30 years. However, her killer was found guilty and is behind bars for the rest of his life. But as true crime fans, we know that getting a murder conviction without a body is no easy feat. However, in the case of Randy Taylor, after only five days of testimony, the jury that consisted of five men and seven women found him guilty of first-degree murder and abduction with intent to defile. Two months after his murder conviction is when they started looking into Jesse Matthew Jr. and then subsequently ruled him out. All of this time, Randy had continued to say that he was innocent and had no involvement in Alexis's murder. But once they officially ruled Jesse Matthew out and during Randy's sentencing hearing, Randy decided he wanted to change his story. And he wanted to cut a deal with the prosecutors. Randy said that he would tell them the location of Alexis's body in exchange for them to reduce his two life sentences down to 20 years. Alexis's family wanted no part in this deal. One of her aunts, Angela Murphy, told True Crime Daily, quote, I couldn't rest or my family couldn't rest knowing that we didn't do all that we could when we had the opportunity to put this monster away forever. End quote. So no deal was cut with Randy. And I just want to say that I really admire her family for wanting to make sure that this POS was put away for the rest of his life. I can imagine they wanted to consider the deal so that they could properly lay Alexis to rest. But they knew if he was to ever get out that he would strike again. Weeks after Randy Taylor's trial, Alexis's parents were presented with her diploma at what would have been her graduation with the class of 2014 from Nelson County High School. 
On the one-year anniversary of her disappearance, hundreds of people gathered at the gas station where Alexis was last seen to honor her. People brought out flowers and balloons, and it was just a gathering of those who knew and loved her and to celebrate her life. In the years after his sentencing, Randy has tried to file for appeals, which all were denied. And as the years went by, Alexis's friends and family continued to hold out hope that someday, somehow, her remains would be found and she could properly be laid to rest. And I am happy to say that after seven and a half years, her family's prayers were finally answered. In December of 2020, Alexis's remains were found after Randy Taylor finally told investigators where her body was, and he did so without any kind of deal being given to him. Randy led authorities to a private property in Lovingston, and this property was just a few miles away from where he lived in that camper, and it was just about three and a half miles away from the gas station. On this private property, they discovered human remains exactly where Randy showed them. The remains were positively identified as Alexis Murphy on February 5th, 2021. I was not able to find information on the condition of her remains, nor was I able to find what was listed as her actual cause of death, but I am so happy that Alexis's family was able to give her the proper burial that she deserved. On June 5th, 2021, Alexis's family held a celebration of life on what would have been her 25th birthday. In her obituary, her family wrote, quote, The family wishes to extend our love and gratitude to everyone who has extended any act of kindness in the past seven years and presently. A special appreciation to all law enforcement, the Nelson County Sheriff's Department, the Virginia State Police, the FBI, and the Virginia Department of Emergency Management for never giving up until Alexis was returned home. We are deeply indebted to former Commonwealth Attorney Anthony Martin. You became Alexis's voice when hers was silenced, end quote. I want to wrap up Alexis's story with another quote that I thought was beautiful from her obituary. Quote, Joyful, vibrant, athletic, stunningly beautiful, Webster has not presented enough adjectives to describe her infectious personality and warm heart. Her humor and laugh still resonate if we listen intently. The shuffle of her slippers and the dragging of the extension cord tied to her iPhone still vibrate in our ears when we least expect it. Alexis is the girl who talked to the kids no one else talked to. She is the friend with a listening ear and truthful advice. The sister who always cherished her brothers even when they got on her nerves. The niece that made being an aunt all the more special. The cousin that you could always count on. The granddaughter that all wish for. The daughter that made her parents proud. Alexis can now be found in the soft rain of spring, the crisp autumn air, the sparkle of snowflakes, and the warm summer sun. She is on the wings of butterflies, for her spirit is too large to be contained by this earth. End quote. Crimeaholics, if you're not already a part of our private Facebook group, make sure you find us by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover. We also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. 
You will also be able to find pictures of Alexis on our Instagram page, so make sure you follow us on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. If you wish to follow myself personally on Instagram, you can follow me at Crimeaholly. And if you're looking for more true crime content, head over and give me a follow on TikTok at crimeaholics.podcast. Crimeaholics, that is all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care. 